Hi, I'm Regina Davis. And I'm Patrick Coleman. Welcome to Entrepreneurship Wisdom to Wealth. So welcome everyone to Wisdom to Wealth. Uh, this month is actually, it's Women's Month. And so uh, in honor of National Women's Month uh, 2021, I'd like to introduce Ms. Toya Hankins. She is who we actually select. Um, she actually, to me, just totally embodies entrepreneurship um, with a balance. Uh, she's actually been in business for over 30 years. And so we just want to hear her journey. Um, she has a lot that she could share with us. Um, so Ms. Hankins, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to be here. So tell us um, what you do now. She, so you actually, you are owner of uh, Project Producers and that has been in business for how long? How long have you been working? Well, as Project Producers, uh, I've been established as Project Producers for about 26, 28 years, something like that. Um, but I started in the entertainment industry a good 10 years before that before I started that business. Um, it's been an interesting ride. I, I started out uh, with an interest in film and television production. And um, I always, since I was a little kid, had this interest in what's happening inside the television. Like what was going on there? How was that happening? And then also radio. I just had this great fascination with both of them as a little kid. And um, it wasn't until my senior year at, at, at high school that I even realized that we had a film and TV program at my high school. So I, you know, I really missed that opportunity to uh, begin my journey there. Um, but uh, I was able to pick up a few classes, I mean, a few um, radio spots on our radio station while I was uh, finishing up school in high school. And that sort of took me on my journey. I, it's been a winding journey. I've, I've um, you know, dabbled in video, uh, as a video announcer, that's how I started. And I would announce music videos. This was in the eighties. <laughs> so I got my start there. And from there, I had the an incredible fortune of working with Robert Altman. Um, oh no, I'm sorry, with working with uh, Oliver Stone on a movie that came to Detroit. And I quit my job as a receptionist at a law firm and making good money for being, you know, in my early 20s and took this movie making $160 a week after taxes and working easily 100 hours a week or more. But it was completely worth it. I, I, it just truly allowed me to really understand that this was something I wanted to do. So I worked my butt off and I just always had a smile on my face. Every time I walked in the room, I didn't care how hard the task was. I might've been, you know, dragging myself into the office from the elevator. But when I walked through those doors, I had a smile on my face, a smile and a, a show of gratitude for just even having the opportunity. And from there, uh, that group of, of producers and filmmakers took me on to work with them on more projects. Um, out of Detroit, which was just like a dream come true, truly. Uh, I worked as a production assistant and I went from there and learned my way through the ranks uh, to becoming uh, a production manager. And the, that journey led me to 
working with people like Spike Lee and um, Robert Altman and uh, working on some major commercials for like Nike and, uh, you know, movies that, you know, were released and, and were, you know, did very well. So it was an exciting time for me uh, in the early 90s. And um, it set me on my journey. And I just truly knew that I'd be a filmmaker, a director, producer, writer. And uh, my life took a left turn. And I, uh, I ended up in the music business. So that's sort of how things started. Um, let me know if you want me to keep going or- Yes, absolutely. Have an exchange. We're, no, we are, uh, we're very captivated like by it all really actually. Am. really am. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I, I you know, took this journey and ended up in Los Angeles, California, working uh, in the industry that I love so much. And my grandfather passed away not, not long um, into this, me being in California. And I decided to come home and to be home with family for a while, uh, be with my grandmother. And my very good friend uh, was dating a guy who owned a record label that he was operating out of his attic, very, you know, Motown, early day style. And they were looking for some help on the public relations and marketing side of their, their business. And while I was in LA working on films, I took a job when I, I was, would work 16 hours or 15, 16 hours a day on movies. And then afterward, I'd go and work for this events company that was a PR company. And we would plan these major events uh, with celebrities and, and just like really phenomenal people, which again, like when I think about it, I can't believe I, I had that incredible fortune in my 20s to experience this, these amazing things. But um, so because of that experience, my, my friend was aware that I had done this, this kind of work. She suggested that I come work with, his, with her boyfriend. And I tell you what, I tried my best to say no. I said no 14 times. <laughs> like, I'm a filmmaker, I know myself. If I take a left turn, I'm gonna be in this thing with you. And, um, and I didn't want to do that because I loved what I was doing in the film industry, but I knew that if there was anything that would capture me about music, uh, then I would be off my, off my path. And so after going back and forth quite a bit about, about me doing this, I finally agreed to do it part-time for a short window of time because I was headed back out on the road to get back to what I loved. Um, and I got to this label and there were some really interesting projects happening there. <laughs> I um, started working out with this group that uh, was a four man singing group called UNV. And they were, they were just breaking out, just sort of developing. And it was in the middle of the era where the four man uh, singing groups were very popular. We were able to land them a record deal uh, on Madonna's label. And they got distribution through Warner Brothers Records. And, and, and before I knew it, I was on my way in the music business, <laughs> literally. They garnered a gold record, uh, toured around the world, did some really phenomenal things, and this was my entree into music. 
Um, from that project, uh, the next artist that was scheduled to be released was a guy named Kim, who at the time had been uh, three years clean and sober and off the streets. And he just had this incredible voice and this incredible spirit and this incredible journey that he'd had, he had been on. And I wanted to be a part of it. Like I, I wanted to help him. I wanted to do what I could, even though I didn't really have any music experience. I just wanted to do what I could to help. Um, try, to, try to get him to get things figured out, you know? So I immersed myself in learning um, about the music business. I started reading books about, you know, from each angle of the business, you know, from the record label vantage point, the artist vantage point, the manager's vantage point, um, publishing, you know, ways, how do you make money in the music business? And just starting to understand all of that just through through books. I've always had this fascination with learning and reading. And I, I just, I did what I could. And from there, I picked up some little small jobs with uh, folks in the industry here in Detroit, which, you know, you would think Detroit's not a major hub. It's not New York or LA. so. You know, it could be challenging to start a music career in this market. Well, in my eyes, it seemed like opportunity because everyone was doing it in Los Angeles or LA or even Atlanta had become really popular. But Detroit, you know, was wide open for us to create a conversation and, and talk about talk about a great project. And that was basically the approach we took uh, to getting Kim up and going. He was a new, unique artist. He had a much jazzier style when we first started um, with this independent label. He was doing a lot of scatting and people were, were, would refer to him like Al Jarreau, even more so than they did later in his career. But in the beginning, he was like this mixture between Michael Jackson and, and, and Al Jarreau and, uh, and, and Prince. <laughs> so, so it was a unique project, which was exciting for all of us. Um, and we were able to land, you know, get his song played on a, a very famous jazz station called WJCC, which isn't with us any longer, but it truly is a world renowned station um, from its era. Um, and we tried this thing for a while. You know, we tried to think out of the box with it because music was different. And like I mentioned, we were in the middle of this four-man track era where it was just all pre-recorded music and these four guys singing. Well, Kim was a live music artist and he was doing original songs. They were love songs. They weren't, you know, it wasn't bump and grind, it was love. Right. And, uh, and he was doing all, you know, these things, these vocal gymnastics that people didn't understand at that time, you know? So we were kind of against the grain with this project out the gate. But we kept pushing. We just believed in them, you know. Um, and we did this for a while. And I would say it, it had to be like we started in 1995 or 92, 92. And then we took a break around 96. Um, like, hey, we gave it the best, the best shot we could. A good shot in the arm. It didn't happen, you know. But no, no, no love lost. Um, I'm gonna go find a job. He went and found a job and uh, we took a break. But that break was, break was short-lived. About a year and a half later, I started working with the Museum of African-American History here in Detroit. I was a part of the groundbreaking and the opening of, of the museum, which was, again, another incredible uh, career highlight 
Uh, I love that museum. I love the work I did there. And um, I had the privilege of contributing as the uh, director of special events. So I was in charge of curating the events for all of the exhibits and for our um, annual programs, which included our Black Black History Month programs, our Women's History Month programs, uh, Malcolm X Day, King Day, you know, Black Music Month, like everything. I, I was able to creatively design events to support um, the exhibits and the, and the museum's mission. And my greatest task was uh, managing the African World Festival. Um, and I was given the, the task of cleaning it up and making it an artisan's event uh, with true vendors and artists represented uh, with music from around the diaspora, uh, programming that was depicted, you know, our culture from that lens. And it was an incredible left turn. <laughs> you know, my career has been a lot of left turns and uh, but none that I regret at all. You know, I don't regret any of them. Um, being at the museum taught me so much and it gave me an opportunity to like really exert my creative muscle. Uh, my ability to coordinate really bloomed and, and was um, honed in while working there. And um, it was just the best. It was absolutely the best. Um, Wow. And before actually doing that, when I took the initial, the beginning part of that left turn, I was working in a coffee shop <laughs> and I started doing programming there, you know, a poetry night, a music night, things like that. And then I just started working closely with the owners, you know, of, of, the, of the place who, the, the main owner right now is my very best friend, uh, my best male friend on a planet. And we created something, again, unique in Detroit, in the marketplace. Uh, this was before Starbucks and before the coffee beanery and, and, and companies like that. We, we were teaching Detroiters um, how to do, uh, you know, gourmet coffee, cappuccinos, lattes, and, you know, things of that nature. We were educating Detroit before it was popular. And I, I love that. It was a fantastic stop in my journey. I learned again so much. You know, I learned skills that who knew I would need later in my career. Um, you know, from catering to understanding the licensing um, required to be able to do food service and, and host people in, in an um, event space in the way that we were. These are skills that I picked up then that I carried down the line with me. Um, so I did that, went to the museum, did the museum thing, and it was phenomenal. And, and Kim and I started working together again at that point at the museum. Because I was doing all the programming, I had an opportunity to bring him in to perform. You know, be a part of Black Music Month and Black History Month and African World Festival. And, and we began to build an audience for him, for him um, through these efforts. And he was performing original music and doing the things that he loved to do. This, this platform allowed for that. It was great. So uh, toward the end of my time at the museum, Kim came to me and said, um, hey, I want to put out, um, I want to put out a independent project. Will you help me? And, I, you know, okay. I didn't, I didn't know much about it at that point. I knew what I 
had learned a few years before, but hey, I'm a poor challenge, let's do it. And my birthday was coming up and I, I said, you know, let's just record the album live at a birthday party, at a coffee shop. And we went to this little cafe called Aroma Cafe on the, on the east side of Detroit. And we, I had met a sound guy who had all the live equipment at my, you know, with the work I was doing at the museum. And he pulled the truck up behind this coffee shop and wired up all the equipment. And we did a concert and recorded it. And it was great. <laughs> it was, it was great. We, a lot of the songs that were recorded then were on Kim's first album, Chemistry, in fact. Um, we took that project and we uh, pushed it out to a few people just to get feedback from them on what they thought about uh, the music. And the next thing we knew, people were burning it and giving it back to us. So uh, someone came to me and said, hey, have you heard this new artist? It's from Detroit. <laughs> well, it was Kim, you know, um, and it was great. So from there, we decided to take it seriously. I wrote a marketing plan. We came up with this distribution plan that um, involved involving the community. The program, um, the marketing plan was called Falling in Love with Kim. And here was the, pre the premise. You know, it was no way to listen to chemistry and not just love it. And so we did, I, this plan was just merely, let's get the music in places where people spend time and let them fall in love with this album. And so we, created this, these, uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, these, I can't think of the name right now, but where we created a deal with each place where we give them the product and they could mark the consignment. Consign we created yeah. a consignment program with uh, beauty shops and barbershops and clothing stores and restaurants. And, and before we knew it, we had the whole city helping us sell this out. And about nine months later, and everybody knew all the words, we did these, concerts um, at the first coffee shop that my best friend owned, Poor Me Cafe. We did these concerts every week and we were sold out three, two, three shows a night. And and nine months later, we got a call. I, I'm sorry, we did our due diligence. We went to New York, we dropped packages off. We met with people, we, we, we tried to get reviews. We did everything we were supposed to do that the books told us to do. And uh, finally, we got we got started getting phone calls from labels. And uh, our goal was if we sold 10,000 records, we knew people, somebody was going to pay attention. But we looked up at about almost 17,000 records sold and we signed a deal with Motown Records that was a five album deal. And, you know, it was interesting uh, doing that because, you know, as, as I've explained, my education came from books, you know, and from me piecing together the things that I learned, you know, through different industries and businesses. And actually we, we put, when we put Kim's album out ourselves, I was working another job at that point. I left the museum and got a job with the Detroit Lions and was doing event coordination and, and operations management and things like that for the Ford Field and the Detroit Lions, which got me, all of these things are preparing me for what I was about to do with Kim. You know, um, because it's one thing for sure to do something on uh, a level that is like in your backyard. You know, your backyard swimming pool has different dynamic than the ocean. It just does, you know. It, it, 
you don't have to swim as hard. You don't have to go as far. It's not as deep. It's not anything in the bottom, like seaweed and stuff, like bothering you, you know? <laughs> but then, you know, you leave your backyard and you have to go to another level. And, and thank goodness for all those experiences that I had, you know, prior to that. Had we gotten this deal when we first started long ago, in the 90s, I, I don't know if we would have had the same success we had later. Because Kim and I both grew so much as people. You know, he was older signing his record deal, which was unprecedented, you know, and he, we, we were able to revive a chart that wasn't doing anything. It didn't have any value at that point. We, re, we revived the urban adult contemporary chart. Happy to say that. And, um, and it all came from just time and grooming and our experiences that, that got us there. And from there, we just, um, we just really lived a dream. You know, we traveled around the world uh, playing this music. It was, you know, I, 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 the most um, breathtaking moment I had was being in South Africa for the first time. And standing between the barrier and the in the stage and all the people were, were behind me and the place was packed. It was a standing room only event. And they were singing every single lick, every word, every note. They were improvising with the musicians. It, it just literally took my breath away and brought tears to my eyes that we could be on the complete other side of the world and this music resonating with people. And it was at that time I knew that we were doing something really, really great. Um, and our time together went on for, you know, 26 years, actually. And, um, and then, you know, after a time, it's, it's, you reach a point where you're not sure. You don't know what you don't know. You know, you don't know if you are doing the best that you should be doing, you know. Um, you know, even though over the course of 26 years, there were, you know, all of these number one records, sold out tours, you know, we didn't have an album that did not debut in the top five, all the albums debuted in top three, top five, which is great accomplishment. And, uh, but, you know, you still just might not know what you don't know. And it then becomes necessary for change. So in 2000, 16, I, in 2016, we decided to uh, part ways and, 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 and go into new ventures. And I know it's 7.30, I just looked up. That's okay, <laughs> that's okay. Um, really, you have said a lot because there has been so many things like from the beginning of your journey to where you are now that is so, in, um, gosh, it's inspiring for one, but it also shows that, you know, I talk about your drive. You're a very humble person, right? But you have this amazing drive that has led you to all these different things. So all of those left turns that you talked about really were right turns, <laughs> really essentially for you. Um, I, so some of the things I want to allow Patrick, you know, an opportunity to jump into because I'm just so captivated with everything. Because like she's hitting on everything and you're hitting on things because this is exactly what this whole podcast actually is about. It's about entrepreneurship and it's wisdom to wealth. So you have along the way, you have um, 
you have this wisdom now. You mentioned a lot of things that people that need time sometimes to see things. And when you talk about things that are right there in your backyard, how you have, you know, this is one level of it. And then things are preparing you, you know, so sometimes people are working places. They may not, you know, they may not understand what sorts of um, skill sets that they're gaining at that time that's gonna propel them later or be very um, useful for them later. Um, I'm gonna let Patrick actually ask a question or so, or kind of pipe in a little bit. Well. I have to echo what Regina said, it's, and I hope you don't mind if I call you Toya. Oh, please do. I mean, because looking at your, your mini bio, um, your reputation um, requires me to call you by your last name. It's kind of like Maya Angelou. I wouldn't call her Maya because everything that she's accomplished. And look, again, looking at this mini bio, you have accomplished a lot. Yes. But it's, I have a two-part question. Mm -hmm. How can you help someone, a young person, matriculate through the journey that you did with everything that you've done? And again, going back to the compartmentalization of it, how do you compartmentalize that? And if somebody's listening, like myself, who's an old cat, wanted to do the same thing, how do you help them do that? You know what? I, I just, you know, I go into things from a pure, genuine heart of you know loving what I do so it's like I I find a space in there that I can connect with and if I can connect with it then I'm all in you know so my compartmentalizing comes from my heart you know I compartmentalize in my heart like if I can connect with it and really see the a vision for it and feel like I can offer something then then I'm committed you know um and I don't know where I got that from. It's just been who I've been all my life, really, um, in, in all kinds of ways. I just, if I'm, if I love it, if I love you, I'm down. I'm down. No need to question it 3,000%. But I also try to be honest with myself about things, too. You know, like, if I don't feel like I can offer anything, you know, because I get a calls a lot, you know, from people asking, you know, for help. Um, on a rock project or, you know, a genre that I'm not familiar with. And I, I, you know, I can give them some feedback on their project and I'll do that. I'm happy to help someone grow however I can. But if I don't know it, I don't want to hold you up either. You know, so I try to be honest with myself that way. Um, but I can juggle a lot too. Like I do, I juggle a lot. I juggle a lot. I like a lot of things, you know? Um, and I start each one of my days, every single solitary day before I put my feet on the ground, I ask the Lord, the creator of all things to guide my steps, you know, and order my path and give me the wisdom, strength and intuition to handle anything that comes in my path. And I just kind of walk, I walk with that. Um, so sometimes you, we have to find ourselves, we find ourselves um, in situations and we, you know, have to still perform, you know, things that we've never done before. And I, that happened all the time, being new to an industry. You know, it, it happens all the time now, um, you know, with family dynamics and, you know, things like that. You just have to be willing to adjust and cutting my teeth in the, in the event business, I think was uh, probably my greatest benefit because it taught me how to 
be adaptable to change, you know, and to be able to weather, you know, the winds of a storm and still snap back. Like, you know, so I, I've just really kind of lived my life on those kinds of ideas. You know? Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Like I said, you know, and uh, I really wish we had more time because I have a lot of questions, but I know that we don't. But again, if I was a teenager that wanted to do that, and you were speaking directly to that teenager, everything you said, would that be the, the, the journey or the footstep that they would take to um, traverse that path? Yeah, you gotta have a passion for it, period. You know, cause work ain't hard when you like it. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it's not as challenging if you go into it liking it. So, you know, you got to really make sure this is what you want to do because it's hard work. It's not for the faint, it's ain't it hard at all. Like you, you got to be ready, ready to roll your sleeves up and work. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm just that kind of person. I was that kind of boss or leader or what have you. Just like I, I wouldn't, my team, we did it all together. You know, I rolled my sleeves up and got in. I, got, I was up on deck with everybody when and, and one of the last people to leave the building. I just believed in, I believe in working like that. Right. Well, I appreciate it. I do. Yep. That's what, this is exactly why you are, uh, why we are honoring you once again for uh, the National Women's Month.